Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast and the only podcast that is valid or recognized in California. Yeah, the others, uh, they're not quite up to our caliber or as gay. And speaking of being gay, uh, why don't we go into an article sent to us by J-Dog. Yeah, this is the um, gay penguins are in the news again. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say again. It was uh, back in the late half of 2009, but it's one we haven't covered. It's news to me. It always is. Especially coming from the Pink Network, wasn't it? Pink, Pink News. Pink News, yes. The, the Europe's largest gay news service. So these guys, um, the, the zookeeper staff, were not convinced that these penguins were actually gay. So they decided... <laughs> to do uh, a test on this and of course what do you do when you're testing gayness in a in a penguin well the same you would do when testing gayness in a human you throw hot babes at them so they imported four swedish penguins to seduce the uh, gay penguin couples in order to test their sexuality <laughs> you know all i've got to say at this point is zookeepers if those gay penguins want to wear assless chaps you let them now, they threw these hot Swedish babe penguins at them, and the uh, the gay penguins were like, yeah, so? <laughs> yeah, I, I think my favorite part is when they separated them, they would separate the gay penguins, and they would pin them up with these hot Swedish penguins, and then the penguins would just sit there and pine over their lost man. <laughs> Until they were reunited. <laughs> so it says that the temptress's advances were met with a frosty reception by both gay rights activists as well as the penguins themselves. <laughs> okay, there are really gay rights activists trying to save these gay penguins? Well, you know, the, the, when this whole thing was going on, they were protesting those gay penguins being ostracized, right? Being separated from the rest of the group. <laughs> yeah, I think there's even a mention at the bottom of this article about how keepers have decided to segregate the pair during hatching season to avoid disrupting the rest right. of the community. I just love that the, the gay penguins uh, were tested with hot Swedish penguin babes and they passed the test. They really were gay. Now, that brings to light the question, is it a choice or is it in the genes? Uh, why does that bring up the question? Well, because, you know, maybe they're choosing to be gay and just being stubborn penguins. You know how penguins can get. Whether it's a choice or whether it's in the genes, <laughs> they still are gay. Well, I, I think they just need to find hotter penguins. These are Swedish penguins. They don't get any hotter. Yeah, I hear that the, the Swedish penguins don't even mind if you get with their sister afterwards, too. I had no idea Sweden even had penguins. <laughs> Neither did I. Uh, maybe special breed. I don't know. But, All but, right. Yeah. Moving on. This episode is about Proposition 8. Uh, yeah. The long-awaited holy grail of irreligiosity podcasts. We're well, finally, uh, finally deigning it to, to give it to you. It's like Moses on Sinai begging, begging God to give him some sort of interaction. And then Moses got the Ten Commandments, went down, smashed them, and started killing a bunch of people. Yeah, our holy fingers are coming down uh, to uh, dispense wisdom to you, our listeners. <laughs> are you sure that's a finger? <laughs> well, it is on my end. 
Well, we, we've all discussed the size uh, and that it doesn't matter on this show. Now, you wanted to spend some time. Um, I, I was going to do the history of this as a, by way of introduction in California, but you wanted to spend some time on uh, the LDS involvement and, and why uh, they're such brainless sheep. Yeah, it, it's very interesting because we get a lot of emails and there's a lot of discussion even about why LDS members would just so blindly follow the prophet. I mean, we're talking not only blindly follow the prophet, but when they're sent an emissary and said, hey, you make this much, you pay this much, they would just blindly do it. And it all goes back to uh, a, a talk given by Ezra Taft Benson called The 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet. And if I'm not mistaken, it was actually even brought up in this last general conference. They bring and, uh, it up. They bring it up all the time, all the yeah. time. If you ever have any questions about, you know, you ever have any doubt, um, you know, I kind of I disagree with the prophet. I think you know what he's doing is uh, seems like a little shady or not quite right or blah blah blah. You get sent right directly to this talk. Yeah, yeah. This this talk is is just it's flabbergasting, and uh, we're not going to read all fourteen little fundamentals, but we're just going to cover the highlights now. One of my favorites is the third one, which is the living prophet is more important to us than a dead prophet, which basically means if I change things that the dead prophet said, I'm still golden. I'm the prophet. Yeah, keep in mind, two prophets should never contradict each other because they're both speaking for one eternal, unchanging God. Uh, but th this, this third one is kind of uh, an implicit surrender on that point. They're running up the red flag, and they're just saying, look, whoever the living prophet is, it, it, he uh, trumps the dead prophet. So when, when Brigham Young says, hell no, we're not giving blacks a priesthood, every one of Adam's seed, from Adam all the way out to the end of his seed, will get their judgment first before blacks get the chance to have the uh, priesthood in the next existence. And then the, the, the living prophet, 1978, says, Oh, we're going to give the blacks a priesthood. Well, they're yeah. still alive, and I yeah. got a, a revelation saying so. Then um, he trumps Brigham Young. So even though they contradict, doesn't really matter because the living prophet. Uh, so it's really the truth is kind of a moving target, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you're absolutely right because this talk was given in 1980. So it's completely apparent that they were getting a lot of flack about the new prophet saying, hey, give blacks the priesthood, right. and the old prophet saying, not a chance in hell. This is two years after that happened, and I'm sure they're dealing with all the backlash from the fundamentalist communities and all the people who had all their lives thought, hey, you know, it's okay to discriminate against these people. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the very interesting thing is if someone came today and gave a talk, say, the fun 14 fundamentals of, of uh, being a prophet, uh, following the prophet, and number three would be dead prophets are more important than living prophets, they'd be obligated now <laughs> to go back <laughs> to the dead ones. Exactly, exactly. See now, how that works? Yeah, it, it's, it's beautifully, and, and I am not kidding you. It, go and look up, it's called The 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet, and these are just a setup for a completely totalitarian society. Now, number five, oh, the don't prophet... Skip. Don't skip number four. Number four, the prophet will never lead the church astray. Actually, I was going to come back to that one after reading number six. The prophet does not have to say, thus saith the Lord, to give us scripture. 
Typically, when people give these, they give them in chronological order. Well, why would I do that? They're numbered for a reason. Uh, they're numbered because the prophet numbered them, and we can't <laughs> trust his intellect? The prophet will never lead the church astray. Um, now, try to keep that in your head at the same time that you're keeping in your head that Brigham Young taught that Adam was God for 33 years. <laughs> Right? Yeah, and then as soon as he was dead, they shied away from that as fast as right? they shuffled <laughs> it under the rug. And now the prophets today say that Adam is not God. So either the current prophet is wrong and he's leading the church astray, or the old prophet was wrong and he was leading the church astray. You can't have both. I'm um, sorry, the eighth says the prophet is not limited by men's reasoning. So you <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course he isn't. <laughs> uh, however, you're right. We we should go in chronological order, which is why number five is one that we cannot pass up. The prophet is not required to have any particular earthly training or credentials to speak on any subject or act on any matter at any time. That is self-evident because he has a direct line to the smartest being in the known universe. God. Exactly. So, I mean... All of you out there should go to the prophet instead of going to your doctor and just say to him, hey, I, I have something wrong with me. Uh, could you perform surgery real fast? I love the commentary on this. We haven't yet had a prophet who earned a doctorate in any subject. But as someone says, a prophet may not have his Ph.D., but he certainly has his LDS. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. I think my ears started bleeding. <laughs> So, I would love, to, like you say, I would love to uh, see them practice what they preach. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Prophet, which antibiotic should I use for a bacterioides fragilis infection? Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Prophet, uh, when they come on the plane and he says the, both the pilot and the co-pilot have passed out due to food poisoning, anyone qualified to pilot this plane? Oh, me, well, I'm, I'm, I'm prophet, prophet of God. Yeah. <laughs> They call me Packer. I'll teach you that later. Let me fly this plane down. Up no fucking problem. Step aside. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, did you get a, a load of 11? The two groups who have the greatest difficulty in following the prophet are the proud who are learned and the proud who are rich. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's because they can see uh, what absolute hogwash and bullshit the prophet is speaking. So, uh, I, I would not say proud who are learned, just the learned period. I yeah. don't know what having, you know, being rich has to do with it because all the fucking prophets and apostles in 70 are rich. They're independently wealthy. <laughs> so what the hell does that have to, to do with proud. it? They have to add proud to that because <laughs> they have to single out why these right. people who are rich are not LDS. So, can't you just say the group who has the greatest difficulty in following the prophet are the proud, period. No, 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 it's the proud who are learned and the proud who are rich because they're the ones who speak out the most about these retards. Twelfth, the prophet will not necessarily be popular with the world or the worldly. Well, not anymore. Now, you know, they're really popular as long as you throw out all of your doctrines that are problematic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look at Ezra Taft Benson. Wasn't he on, like, Nightline or something like that? I heard some sort of hubbub about that. No, um, it was uh, Gordon B. Hinckley. Gordon B. Hinckley was on, uh, was it Larry King or 2020 uh, or close Mike enough, Wallace, something like that. They're old men. They look the same. They're like yeah. the Chinese. They all just look the same. 
<laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. We have to do 14. The prophet and the presidency, the living prophet and the first presidency, follow them and be blessed. Reject them and suffer. Right, because they're always right, even if they contradict both each other and prior prophets or future yep. prophets. Yep. And not only that, but all those LDS people who are following them are completely blessed and they never suffer. Right, absolutely. Number 10 actually uh, sums up why we're doing this podcast. Number 10, the prophet may be involved in civic matters. Uh-huh. And number I... 10 uh, should lead to the disenfranchisement of the church and the <laughs> removal of their tax-exempt status. Now do you see why I was going out of order? That was the segue into your research, jackass. Right. That, that was your segue. <laughs> that was going to be my segue, <laughs> right. little dick. <laughs> Finally, 13 minutes into the podcast, my research. Yeah, well, you know, it's not coming any faster with the way you're bitching and moaning like a little girl. I've been chomping at the bit to do this. This this shit is going to be coming flying fast, just like racial slurs at a tea party convention. <laughs> this is going to be coming. I'm going to pound this shit into the audience so hard they'll think that we're gay married. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's an image I don't ever want to see. <laughs> Dude, I, got... I already had someone from email say that I should get excommunicated by kissing you in front of the uh, the temple or whatever. I've had enough of gay imagery with you to last forever. I have got so much information. I don't know how we're going to squeeze this into an hour. Uh, let, so let's go. Uh, 1971, brief history of this. By the way, uh, you can follow along at home if you've got your um, PDF file of uh, the judge's um, ruling on Proposition 8. I'm basically following that as an outline. Uh, brief history. 1971, California amends the California Civil Code, Section 4101. This uh, previously actually set the minimum age of consent to marry for males at 21 and females at 18. Why would that be? Females are more mature than, than uh, males? Well, uh, huh. that is what? actually somewhat fascinating. 21 what, for males? I don't get it. Um, well, maybe it's like the drinking age. We're not allowed to partake until we're 21 on that either. So what they did was they, they changed it to read that any unmarried person of the age 18 years or upwards is capable of consenting to and consummating marriage. Now, by removing... <laughs> The reference to males and females. <laughs> that opens it, it all up. Opens the gate. Several same-sex couples sought marriage licenses in California during the 1970s, uh, relying on this amended <laughs> language, right? And there's nothing yeah. in there to prevent it. I, mean, they're, I just have to say, if you gay people would just stop ruffling everybody's feathers and looking for <laughs> loopholes, we wouldn't be in this mess. I blame you. It reminds me of <laughs> the attempt by Orrin Hatch to uh, in the Utah legislature to um oh no it was butters i think who did this oh god not butters again he uh made this legislation so that uh religious groups could be held on school property right and so yes, he opened i think up, that was butters he opened it up to all these different groups and really kind of uh, made the language a lot more liberal and then immediately instead of a a massive avalanche of religious groups forming uh, a lot of gay and lesbian groups formed in high schools. <laughs> Horrifying Chris Butters. So what he did the next time they met 
was they got rid of that statute and canceled all school clubs whatsoever. I mean, what yeah, a what total a dick. surprise. And once again, it just shows that these people aren't thinking two steps ahead. All oh, they're yeah. seeing is the tunnel vision of their own religion. Absolutely. So, uh, the in 1977 in California, the, the legislature, aware this is a, a problem, amended the marriage statute to read marriage is a personal relation arising out of a civil contract between a man and a woman. That's very interesting because why are uh, clergy allowed to oversee civil contracts? That is a good question. Is it a religious contract or is it a civil contract? Uh, and why are religion religious people given the ability to, to oversee this or, or hand out marriage licenses if it's a civil contract. Anyway. It's just been a constant uh, habit. Tradition, I mean, I'm sure, been... yeah. So, uh, that settled things for a while. In November of 2000, remember, uh, the, the conservative base, the Republicans, are trying to mobilize their base by having a bunch of uh, DOMA, Defense of Marriage Acts, and, and anti-gay marriage stuff. So they get their supporters out there to vote for president, as well as all these uh, anti-gay rights stuff. So Proposition 22 was approved in November of 2000, which inserted um, the language uh, into the California's Family Code, um, defined marriage as a relationship between man and a woman. In February 2004, the mayor of San Francisco instructs county officials to begin issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples. He, he I guess, is, is just frustrated with the whole thing and wants to instigate a lawsuit, I believe, in order to facilitate this process. Yeah, well, I mean, this you is You remember this man. happening, right? This was only six yeah. years ago. Yeah, this, this is one man who is finally standing up, and he's, a, he's in a position to stand up, and he's finally sick and tired of these civil liberties being taken away from people. I mean, he should be proud right. of what he did. So in March 2004, uh, the next month, California Supreme Court directs San Francisco to stop issuing the marriage licenses, and they nullify the licenses that have already been issued. These, you know, clearly are against the law. Uh, so what happens is various cities sued. Um, a San Francisco Superior Court judge uh, issues a ruling that excluding same-sex couples from having marriage licenses violated due process guarantees of the Constitution, um, the California Constitution. An appeal court reversed that decision. So now, in 2008, May of 2008, it's up to the California Supreme Court. They hold that certain provisions of the Family Code violated the California Constitution to the extent the statutes reserved the designation of marriage only to opposite-sex couples, right? So if you yeah. exclude same-sex couples without giving uh, equal protection or due process, it's unconstitutional. The yep. language, quote, between a man and a woman, remember that was inserted in November of 2000, was stricken from Section 300, and Section 308.5, that's Proposition 22, was stricken in its entirety. The whole thing was removed. Now, keep in mind, this was a proposition. It was voted in by the voters, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> found to be illegal. Imagine that. So the California <laughs> Supreme Court invalidates Proposition 22, it held that all California counties were required to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Between it's about goddamn time, I, it still pisses me off that they keep flop or flopping back and forth. I mean, goddamn. Between May of 2008 and November of 2008, when Proposition 8 passed, nearly 20,000 licenses were issued to same-sex couples. About 18,000. In May 2009, uh, after Proposition 8 passed, a lawsuit is filed challenging Proposition 8 on its constitutionality under the 14th Amendment. So, so in brief, here's what happened. 
these guys try to amend uh, or, or insert this stuff into the California Family Code, right? Yeah. Uh, Supreme Court decides, uh, come on, guys, this is ridiculous. You can't do that. And so the voters go, oh, yeah? Well, we'll just change the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> and so they amend the Constitution with Proposition 8, and that takes it away from the court, right? So they think. In May 2009, lawsuits filed challenging Proposition 8 on its constitutionality under the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution. Attorney General of California says, look, I can see, uh, you know, red fl- or white flag here, Proposition 8 is clearly unconstitutional. <laughs> yeah, other we name- probably shouldn't have that. Other named parties, including Republican Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, Decline to defend Proposition 8. The writing's on the wall for them, too. Clearly, this is unconstitutional, unfair to a large segment of their population. Well, and you know that they're going to decline on that shit because they can see that in the future, this is going to be law. And they're going to be the ones, much like the LDS Church, who are going to be viewed as bigots and just backwards people. It's not worth fighting. It's not worth spending any of California's money on. So what happens is... Uh, the people who were behind Proposition 8 take up the case as, quote, defendant interveners. So instead of the people who were sued, uh, <laughs> who said, yep, you're right, <laughs> it's unconstitutional. Hmm, what a surprise. These guys say, all right, we're going we're gonna to take this up. All right, so the lawsuit itself alleges um, that it is it violates both the Equal Protection Clause because it discriminates against gay and lesbian couples by restricting their right to marry the, the person of their choice, while at the same time allowing heterosexuals the right to freely choose. Uh-huh. And um, two, it disadvantages a suspect class in preventing only gay and men and lesbians and not heterosexuals the right to marry. Let's go over the 14th Amendment, right? Because it, 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 there are two prongs on this. It violates well. the due, pro, due uh, process clause and it violates the Equal Protection Clause. 14th Amendment says... Um, in its entirety. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Uh, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. That's the due process clause. Nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, you can see right away how Proposition 8 violates both of those. Uh-huh. Well, uh, it, it just continues to amaze me that the LDS Church, once they got Prop 8 pushed through, suddenly they want to show they're not such bad guys, and we've mentioned it before, and suddenly they have this new law in the state of Utah that you can't segregate against hiring or you know giving rent or renting a room to gay people. Very right. forward thinking of you guys. Thanks. Yeah, that statute probably would not exist without uh, Proposition 8, the backlash, and the then subsequent support of the LDS Church. Yeah. So that's uh, nice that we're uh, recognizing that gay people are human beings too, and, and they should be well, allowed a house to live in. Well, only so far. I and mean, jobs. Uh, yeah, they, they can have a job, and they can pay taxes, and they can live up to a point, but... Much like the HELOTs, uh, there's no point in even paying attention to it. So plaintiffs state that Proposition 8 violates a due process clause because, uh, one, the right to choose who to marry is a fundamental liberty, right? You can't violate uh, life, liberty, or property without due process. Two, Proposition 8 prevents gays and lesbians from exercising this liberty. 
Three, the choice of a marriage partner is sheltered by the 14th Amendment from the state's unwarranted intrusion on this choice. And four, California's domestic partnership laws do not provide an equal substitute for marriage and therefore discriminate against gays and lesbians without justification. It, it violates a, the Equal Protection Clause because, one, it discriminates against gay and lesbian couples by restricting their right to marry the person of their choice while allowing heterosexuals the right to freely choose. And two, it disadvantages a suspect class in preventing only gay men and lesbians and not heterosexuals the right to marry. Now, um, I didn't know what a suspect class was, so I had to look that up. Do you know what a suspect class is? No idea. I was actually waiting for you to tell me. Now, a suspect class... Uh, you know, it's very interesting because um, the laws of our and I'm not an attorney, so this all this stuff is new to me. The laws of our nation allow for discrimination in certain cases. Uh, say uh, we have the right to discriminate in bathroom settings between men and women, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I still have a problem with. I think that is segregation in its most horrendous way. So there, I mean, there are rational reasons to segregate these things or, or discriminate. I still think that's not rational. But what, what happens is if, if any law is placed on the books and it discriminates uh, against a class, um, the courts look at this law through certain lenses depending on who the person is who is being subject to discrimination. A suspect class, uh, the Supreme Court's recognized race, national origin, and alienage as suspect classes. So any government action that discriminates against these classes, it reviews under strict scrutiny. So you have to have a rational basis for the discrimination. You have to have a, a secular interest in the discrimination, not purely religious. Um, and and you've, you've got to have really uh, uh, an argument that withstands really strict scrutiny. right? So segregating bathrooms by race, for example, suspect class, doesn't pass even rational basis. Why would why would you not allow black people to go to the same bathroom that white people go to? Right, stricken well, down. Doesn't even sense, meet. Though. It doesn't even meet rational <laughs> basis review. Right. Well, I'm curious. I, I'm right now trying to think on the other side of the fence. I'm trying to find out how they could fight against this. I mean, what rational basis could they come up for as to why gays can't be married? And don't give me this bullshit about. It destroying the family unit, and therefore all the world's going to go into chaos. What possible rational basis could they even bring forth? I'll, I'll, uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to the uh, defense's case. But so the, the plaintiffs are saying, look, as gays who have been discriminated on uh, against for decades because of our sexual orientation, we should be a suspect class. So therefore. You have to view Proposition 8 not through just a rational basis, right? Which, you know, age, disability, political preference, um, that sort of thing. Uh, those are all kind of rational basis. You need a rational, secular reason for it. Um, not through the rational basis, but under strict scrutiny. Because this may be yet another instance of that discrimination. So that's, that's where suspect class... And, and by the way, religion has not been classified as a suspect class. You hear that all the time, right? We don't discriminate against sex, uh, um, national origin, religion, blah, blah, blah. But the courts don't see religion as a suspect class. They, they typically treat religious cases either based on the First Amendment, and then if it doesn't pass that, you never get to due process or equal protection. That's so well, very get to interesting the, because if, if if they really wanted to, they could uh, 
this mosque that's trying to be built up near the Twin Towers. That could actually be uh, considered a suspect class. If Muslims have been subject to decades of, you know, I have a long history of discrimination. Muslims probably only have a recent history of discrimination <laughs> since uh, so 9 we have to wait another 10 years of discrimination. <laughs> we have a few decades of discrimination left in us before uh, they become a suspect class. Yeah, we got to kick the shit out of them for a little while longer. Gotcha. We can enjoy our bigotry for the next 20 or th- perhaps 30 years. <laughs> well, by that time, the gays will actually have uh, some rights, and so then we'll have someone else to pick on. So, All right, so let, let's talk about um, the defense. On the uh, voter guide for Proposition 8, and Proposition 8 uh, in its entirety is the following sentence. Only marriage between a man and a woman is valid or recognized in California. That yep. is is the entirety of Proposition 8. Yep. So, they, you know, they have the propositions, and then they have uh, little kind of explanations in the voter guide. This is what the explanation said. Proposition 8 is simple and straightforward. Proposition 8 is about preserving marriage. It's not an attack on the gay lifestyle. It protects our children from being taught in public schools that same-sex marriage is the same as traditional marriage. While death, divorce, or other circumstances may prevent the ideal, the best situation for a child is to be raised by a married mother and father. (laughs) If the gay marriage ruling of the Supreme Court of California is not overturned, this teachers could be required, that's capitalized. Of course. Teachers could be required to teach young children there is no difference between gay marriage and traditional marriage. We should not accept a court decision that may result in public schools teaching our own kids that gay marriage is okay. While gays have the right to their private lives, they do not have the right to redefine marriage for everyone else. Heaven forbid our children should be taught in schools that they should treat a human being as a human being whether they're black, gay, whatever. Heaven forbid that these teachers should be able to speak on such matters. You fuckers. Oh, oh the humanity. Oh, it, it's painful. <laughs> they're teaching my child that same-sex marriage is the same as traditional marriage. Oh. Dear Lord. Next, Can you imagine? talk about condoms. In the 1950s. <laughs> you cannot teach my child that black people are the same as white people. <laughs> I do not want our public school teaching that to my children. Yeah, we all know that you put a tail on them and they're just like monkeys. We have a right to discriminate. <laughs> God, there's something wrong with this. Why is it people weren't just laughing their ass off as they were reading this stuff? Ah, uh, you know, it's amazing to me. Now, um, the judge is very sharp, um... He lists uh, six key premises based on uh, the commercials that were brought into evidence and all the materials that were distributed in support of Proposition 8. So this is mostly, keep in mind, Mormon-funded, right? Uh-huh. Something like 80 90% of the funds came from Mormons. Yep. Um, number one, denial of marriage to same-sex couples preserves marriage, and that was right in that material there. We are preserving marriage. Two, denial of marriage to same-sex couples allows gays and lesbians to live privately without requiring others, including, perhaps especially, children, to recognize or acknowledge the existence of same-sex couples. God forbid. (laughs) Holy shit. You teach my child that uh, gay people exist. 
right? I have yeah. gone to all the trouble of sheltering my little child from reruns of Will and Grace for precisely that reason. <laughs> hey, there's a reason to shelter children from that. Have you seen that? There's a reason. Can you imagine shelter. you spend your whole life sheltering your child from uh, the fact that gays exist, and then they go and they learn it in public schools? Good yeah. Lord. Yeah, I, I can't believe they would even bring something up, up like that. Now, hold on. Quick, uh, quick aside. I just went and looked up the uh, monetary contributions to protect marriage. It yeah. came to forty million forty-two thousand a hundred and seven and ninety-eight cents. And like you said, the LDS Church gave ninety percent of that. All the other committees combined gathered less than four million dollars. Good Lord. Yeah, so you so were almost is, exact with 90% of that. This is essentially Mormon propaganda that, that these people are receiving. So keep exactly. that in mind. That The prophet is always right, right? He may not be popular, but he's always right. He's always right. Denial of uh, marriage to same-sex couples protects children. I don't know how, it just does. Number four. <laughs> well, the it's protecting them from uh, you know uh, the total destruction of the world. Like Chris Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. It's right, it's protecting them from brimstone meteorites, man. Why don't we just hand these gay people a couple of angels and get over with it? <laughs> the ideal child-rearing environment requires one male parent and one female parent. Number five, marriage is... define ideal. I, what study are they pulling that from? We'll get into that, too. They have a, a great, great witness. Number five, marriage is different in nature depending on the sex of the spouses, and an opposite-sex couple's marriage is superior to a same-sex couple's marriage. Number six, <laughs> same-sex couples' marriages redefine opposite-sex couples' marriages. So if, if gay two gay people get married, right, two gay chicks, two lesbians get married, immediately the next day, one of them sitting in my room saying, I'm redefining your marriage. <laughs> Fuck Sorry, it. you cannot do that no more. <laughs> I'm sitting here redefining your marriage. Suck it, no. bitch. Any of these 18,000 marriages, right, that they're going on, handing marriage license, which, by the way, was not an issue in this. They weren't going to um, nullify. They, the, the point of the case wasn't to nullify any of these uh, marriage licenses. They both agreed, okay, we'll leave them be. None of these 18,000 gay marriages redefined, redefined shit. Nearly 20,000 marriage licenses were issued. How did traditional marriage get redefined? Who gives a shit? Well, no. No, actually, there was something that happened. The LDS Church started demanding more money out of people. That defines a lot. That was, uh, yeah, I guess, during that period, you're right, um, which they, you know, gave like sheeps. Yep. Suddenly, um, now, all these other Christians, they started changing things because they had to put a stop to that sort of civil thinking. Now, here's how honest these people are. Now, they, they campaigned one way, right? Those six points were present in nearly all of their campaign literature. Commercials, pamphlets, door-to-door -door stuff, conversations, phone calls, all this stuff. Protect our children, blah, blah, blah. They're redefining marriage, blah, blah, blah. None of that was argued in court. Why? Because a state's interest in enacting legislation has to be secular. This was uh, defined explicitly in Lawrence v. Texas, remember? The uh, anti-sodomy case where oh, yeah. they said you can't Trust have... Me, I'm all about sodomy. So. You can't have homosexual sodomy, but it doesn't mention heterosexual sodomy. So, <laughs> again, 
You can't be, <laughs> you can't be telling me. You, you, you homosexuals sticking your dicks in uh, a male ass are redefining my right to stick my dick in a female ass. You can't be doing that. Yeah, you know, I keep telling my wife it was just a slip, but, you know, it, it's not against the law. Right. So. It's possible, you know, therefore, you know, natural to stick your dick in a female ass. Because well, every once in a while... If it's a hole, you might as well fill it. <laughs> every once in a while, you might slip up and get the girl pregnant. Therefore, fulfilling God's law. But sticking so, your dick in a male ass, totally unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> uh, remember, and I'm talking back to our point about honesty here. They campaigned in one way, but the court will not accept any of those arguments because they're all religious arguments. It boils down to traditional marriage, which has traditionally been defined by religious assholes. So uh, clearly, they cannot take that to court. So what they do is they advance new arguments during the trial. There are four arguments. So here you go. Uh, one. And these are secular arguments, are they? Yes. One. Proposition 8 maintains California's definition of marriage as excluding same-sex couples. So it, the state has apparently some interest in maintaining the status quo. I don't know yeah, what well, the we, hell that is. We can't gets. have laws changing with the times. Right. Because well, why don't, you're right. counterintuitive. Well, let's just get rid of the legislature entirely. Yeah, we'll just keep everything the same. Stop making new laws. Uh, Number two. That's actually a good idea. We should go to California and fire all those legislators up there. Just fire them them out on the street and keep things the same. Number two. It affirms the will of California citizens to exclude same-sex couples from marriage. Well, you know what? The will of California citizens doesn't matter. You cannot violate the Constitution. You can't violate due process process by uh, majority vote. <clears throat> so, but anyway, that, that's what they want. Number three, it promotes stability in relationships between a man and a woman because uh, they naturally, and at times unintentionally, produce children. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, yes, because on those unintentional times, it's so much better to raise a child in that environment than a gay couple environment. I can see the thinking on that beautifully. Right. Um, So uh, this, uh, number four, promotes, quote, statistically optimal child-rearing households. That is, households in which children are raised by a man and a woman married to each other. Uh, And so this is what they they advance then as the, the state's secular interest in upholding Proposition 8. So they say Proposition 8 should be evaluated solely on its language, right? And on its consistency with, quote, the central purpose of marriage in California and everywhere else to promote naturally procreative sexual relationships and to channel them into stable, enduring unions for the sake of producing and raising the next generation. That's the purpose of marriage. You got it right here from the Proposition 8 supporters. The purpose of marriage is to legalize fucking. That's the purpose of marriage. I I, uh, I can agree with them on that. However, I didn't realize that it was illegal. You can't fuck without having at least the capacity to produce children. <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. What does that mean when I'm spilling my seed on the ground? Does that mean I'm committing some sort of uh, breaking of a law? I mean... Uh, no, because you're not raising children. Uh, what are you talking about? I got me a Petri dish. They They say... 
um, that uh, same-sex marriage is not implicit in the concept of ordered liberty, uh, and therefore its denial does not deprive those couples of due process. So apparently um, freedom to marry is really not a freedom at all. No. Um, Because the fathers of old didn't think that this would be an issue, it it, it shouldn't even be even considered. Nor does exclusion of same-sex couples from marriage deprive these couples of equal protection because California has a separate parallel institution of domestic partnership. They're already taken care of. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it, it doesn't um, matter that that we are segregating them. Let, let's keep things the way they are. Everybody's happy, right? Here is right. Separate but equal has worked so well before. Um, here's one of the instances where I, I really think that um, the the uh, defense attorneys, the ones who are in support of Proposition 8, are just absolutely fucking incompetent. I don't, I don't know who hired them or who ran their background, but this is something you just do not do in court. Uh, During trial, the court challenged the assumption of the proponents of Proposition 8 that the state's interest in marriage is procreative, right? So so the court's saying, what are you talking about? Um, Why do you think the state's interest in marriage is essentially making children? Why why does California care about marriage just uh, insofar as it it exists to create children? Um, The court also asked, this is a judge, uh, how permitting same-sex marriage impaired or adversely affected that interest? This is a very good question, because if the state's interest is uh, creating children, right, yeah. supporting marriage so that it can create children, then how does allowing gay people to marry impair that interest? If you allow them to, to marry, well, they won't make any kids, but you still have all the heterosexuals making kids. Yeah. So who gives a shit? See, the attorney. That's, that's the point that I just don't understand. What is the big deal? The attorney uh, answered, that's not the legally relevant question. (laughs) (laughs) He's telling the judge, you're a fucking idiot. You're asking the wrong question, judge. Oh, my God. Didn't we hand you a list of questions you were supposed to ask? I mean, where did you get off topic here? That's not the legally relevant question, you fucking idiot, is what the attorney is telling to the judge who is going to... uh, then excuse himself and make a judgment on his case. It is yeah. absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, so he pressed. Tell me that the judge answered, suck it, bitches. The judge pressed him and said, you know, uh, I want you to answer the question, whether it's legally relevant or whether you deem it's legally relevant or not. And uh, the uh, attorney said, I don't know. I don't know. So really, <laughs> that got shot out of the water. Proponents claimed 23 specific areas of harm. <laughs> 23. Uh, If you remove the ability for same-sex couples to marry, it will inflict 23 specific areas of harm. But they only called one witness to to support that. (laughs) David Blankenhorn. (laughs) Yeah, and and I will bet you her credentials are flawless. Well, you're right on. Let me fast forward to David Blankenhorn's credentials. He's under the... um, expert witness, right? The the proponents only called two witnesses. David Blankenhorn, founder and president of the Institute for American Values, testified on marriage, fatherhood, and family structure. Yeah, because you know he's not biased in the least, like, you know, a real (laughs) scientist or a real expert. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Social Studies from Harvard College and a, a Master's Degree, M.A., in Comparative Social History from the University of Warwick in England. 
Um, let me uh, compare that with the expert witnesses called by the plaintiffs. Nancy Cott, expert in history of marriage in the United States, qualifications Ph.D. in history of American civilization, professor of history at Harvard, taught history of marriage in the United States at Yale for a semester in 1998. George Chauncey, Ph.D. from Yale, professor of history and American studies at Yale, teaches courses in 20th century U.S. history as well as a course in lesbian and gay history. He was called expert in gay and lesbian history and a history of discrimination against them. Uh, Lee Badgett, Ph.D. in economics from UC Berkeley, Professor of Economics at UMass. I think he was called about um, the the monetary impact of allowing same-sex couples to marry in California, and he actually testified that it would be beneficial because they would get more money from the marriage license. Yeah, they, they would be paying for marriage yeah. license for testing for all that shit you have to go through. How is this a bad uh, thing? I don't know why you need a, a PhD in economics from UC Berkeley to tell you that more people buying marriage licenses equals more money. Yeah. And, and this is coming from a state that, if I'm not mistaken, was on the brink of bankruptcy. Yeah. They also got Edmund Egan, Ph.D. in city and regional planning, chief economist in the San Francisco Controller's Office, adjunct faculty member at UC Berkeley, teaches graduate students on regional and urban economics and regional and city planning. Leticia Ann Peplau, um, professor of psychology and vice chair of graduate studies in psychology at UCLA, um, began studying same-sex relationships in the 1970s, published or edited 10 books, authored about 120 peer-reviewed articles, and published literature reviews on psychology, relationships, and sexuality. I mean, I could go on. E. Ilan Meyer, Ph.D. in social medical sciences, uh, yeah. a bunch of psychologists, political science. Yeah, let, let's see. We're getting a bunch of Ph.D.s, uh, a bunch of instructors at, uh, well, you know, not so well-known colleges like Yale and Harvard and Berkeley. I mean, nothing really important. I, I don't understand uh, where they have any sort of ground to stand on. I mean, after all, the defense has two solid witnesses. Well, let's get to it. Blankenhorn, his testimony is an absolute riot. Uh, he, This guy's. Uh, fucking, I, I think, certifiable. Is he going to uh, say that the devil's in them? <laughs> Blankenhorn... They've, they've lost the ability to love. I mean, Blankenhorn's first opinion is that marriage is, quote, a socially approved sexual relationship between a man and a woman. He believes that the primary purpose of marriage is to, quote, regulate filiation. Alright, first off, Kiss my ass socially approved. It doesn't matter. It was socially approved to keep slaves. Kiss my ass. Regulate filiation is the primary purpose of marriage. I want you yeah. to keep it in mind because over and over again as I was reading this judgment, you find the, the fuckers who are defending marriage against a, a, a redefinition from traditional marriage define it in fucking crazy ways. The, the definition of marriage is so you can go out and fuck and have children. Definition of marriage has nothing to do with love. It's to regulate how you dispense with your assets. And it's, it's how to regulate how you know whose kids are whose. This is the, this, this, this is the, the LDS church saying this shit, right? They yeah. hired people, they got this expert, and this is apparently their view. This is their yeah. view of traditional marriage. Well, that, that makes perfect sense, which, once again, is why you get LDS families that have massive amounts of children, and just, it's completely screwy. But yeah, this is what they think. So he sets up two uh, opposing 
views on the definition of marriage. It's either uh, defined as a socially approved sexual relationship between a man and a woman for the purpose of bearing and raising children biologically related to both spouses. <laughs> he keeps adding this shit in there. Yeah, which um, I love because just previously they were stating uh, that uh, having children was good whether in or out or if it was an accident. So right. nice guys. Or, or marriage is a private relationship between two consenting adults. So... <laughs> The, the the other expert, the expert on the other side, the, the people who are against Proposition 8, she testified. So th- these are the people who are um, trying to uh, destroy traditional marriage and get rid of this and, and et cetera, et cetera, redefine traditional they marriage. They are the enemy. We should hunt them yes. down and put them down. Listen to her definition. These are the bad guys. Her definition is, quote, a couple's choice to live with each other, to remain committed to one another, and to form a household based on their own feelings about one another, and their agreement to join in an economic partnership and support one another in terms of the material needs of life. Now that seems like a traditional definition of marriage to me. The problem with that definition... There's not any men or women. (laughs) You haven't stated that they have to be one man and one woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well... It's funny that the LDS isn't pushing for one man, several women type situations. Blankenhorn, this is the judge, Blankenhorn relied on the quotations of others to define marriage and provided no explanation of the meaning of the passages he cited or their sources. Does that sound familiar to you? It's like Ken Hovind's on the stand. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we should have that. We should look up that dude's dissertation. I would love to read that. Uh, well, he's only got a master's degree, so... That's true. He's only got a master's. That's right. There weren't any PhDs on the defense side. So he... Um, <laughs> you can see him there quoting some Bible or some crazy conservative book and then just shutting up and not saying anything, as if it's, you know, patently obvious. Um, <laughs> the, the judge pissed off about this. He says, Blankenhorn's mere recitation of text and evidence does not assist the court in understanding the evidence because reading, as much as hearing, is within the ability and experience of the trier of fact. Basically, I can fucking read. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to sit and read a fucking book to me, you dipshit. (laughs) It's good to hear that the judge is even sitting there going, oh my god, I actually have to sit and listen to this shit. Right. You know, and this is the expert. This is the person best equipped in their view in the entire country to defend their claims. <laughs> so he uh, testified that his research has led him to conclude that there are three universal rules that govern marriage. Are you ready for this? Oh, God. What are they? <laughs> Number one, the rule of opposites. The, quote, man-woman rule. What? Number two, the rule of two. And number three, the rule of sex. He said there are no or almost no exceptions to the rule of opposites, despite some instances of ritualized same-sex relationships in some cultures. <laughs> despite this very large <laughs> instance. Is he comparing this to, like, magnetics, where north and south attract one another? I, I mean, you have seriously, to have a man. this is the you best you can come up with? Blankenhorn explained that despite the widespread practice of polygamy across many cultures, including fucking Mormons who were paying for his testimony, the yeah. rule of two is rarely violated because even within a polygamous marriage, each marriage is separate. So it allows you to say <laughs> it's two, even though there are 15 fucking people there. 
So let's see. That, that's trying to redefine 1 plus 1 equals 50. Yes, uh, exactly correct. Oh, my God. Finally, Blankenhorn could only hypothesize instances in which the rule of sex would be violated, including where, you know, he's in prison for life, he's married, and he's not in a system which any conjugal visitation is allowed. But I guess he'd just go fuck other men, I guess, in prison. Yeah, at that point, he'd be dropping saying. the soap left and right. Uh, according to the court, Blankenhorn gave no explanation of the methodology that led him to his definition of marriage other than his review of others' work. This guy is Kent Hovind. Yeah, yeah, he's just blanket statement everything I, that he's read previously in propaganda. That's <laughs> popping out of his mouth. I didn't do any original studies myself. I just read a bunch of shit that agrees with me, and here it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to now proceed yeah. to read that for you. Yeah, what a surprise that he's only looking at what agrees with him. Oh wait, he started an entire goddamn group about this stuff. Yeah, Blankenhorn's second opinion is that a body of evidence supports the conclusion that children raised by their married biological parents do better on average than children raised in other environments. The opposition pointed out that Blankenhorn didn't consider any study comparing children raised by their married biological parents to children raised by their married adoptive parents. I could see them beating the shit out of what they just spent all that time fighting to adopt. I mean, <laughs> hell, what's the point in having children other than slave labor? Blankenhorn's third opinion is that recognizing same-sex marriage will lead to the deinstitutionalization of marriage. So he's saying, you know, what will happen is that you got these previously stable patterns, right, forming an institution like marriage, and they slowly erode or change. Like, I don't know, the fucking 50% divorce rate that marriage has right now? <laughs> Can't erode much further. Well, they could try, and, you know, it's because of the gays fighting for gay marriage that it's eroded that far. Now listen to this. He identified several manifestations of deinstitutionalization. Out-of-wedlock childbearing, rising divorce rates, the rise of non-marital cohabitation, increasing use of assistive reproductive technologies, you know, um, having yeah. children without fucking, and marriage for <laughs> same-sex couples. Now, now of I've course, always wondered, if, if you go for artificial insemination, does that mean you're cheating on your significant other? I mean, the machine's doing all the work, so... Uh, right, exactly. Um, and you're, you're getting pleasure out of that, so I suppose yes. The answer is yes. Okay. That, now, again, here's an instance of how sharp this judge is. He says, to the extent Blankenhorn believes that same-sex marriage is both a cause and a symptom of deinstitutionalization, his opinion is tautological. So basically what he's saying is, same-sex marriage is a cause of deinstitutionalization, and because marriage is becoming deinstitutionalized, we're starting now to think about allowing same-sex marriage. <laughs> and on and on we go around that circle. Yeah, yeah, but... We don't even have the ability to provide same-sex marriage, but it's eroding our society already. Yeah, right. Uh, Blankenhorn's book, so he wrote a book called The Future of Marriage, lists numerous consequences of permitting same-sex couples to marry. <clears throat> you know, most of which the, the stuff he already cited, you know, divorce, yeah. you know, rise of out-of-wedlock childbearing. Children um, running rampant, killing people. Yeah, now, I can see. this is one of my favorite of the entire... Uh, proceeding here. 
Blankenhorn explained that the list of consequences arose from a group thought experiment in which an idea was written down if someone suggested it. His evidence of this shit is he got a group of people together and said, now, what would happen if we allowed same-sex couples to marry? And they just said, divorce rate will rise. <laughs> out, of lock, out of wedlock, childbearing is going to go up. Increase in non-marital cohabitation is all going to go up. My he didn't do a study. Question. He just asked a bunch of people. <laughs> My first question is: it, Was the group of people he asked his church group, or was it blanketed across many ethnicities, Jesus. many belief systems, atheists, agnostics, no. religious? I can guarantee you, it's in the, the people in his little uh, family group that he's the president of. Of course. So they got together in a thought experiment, and that now becomes evidence. I love how they call it a thought experiment. Court. It's not a thought experiment. It's just writing down what you guys are terrified of. Unbelievable. Blankenhorn testified on cross-examination that studies show children of adoptive parents do as well or better than children of biological parents. And that, that contradicts what he said before, right? That uh, yeah. um, biological parents do better. Uh, Blankenhorn agreed that children... So he's talking... The judge is now talking about... Much of his testimony contradicted his his opinions that he advanced. Yeah. He's, he agreed, he's doing that trot thing where he's throwing out so much information he's hoping you can't keep up with it. Yeah. he Well, he agreed. Now he's pressed on cross-examination, right, by the other side. He agreed that children raised by same-sex couples would benefit if their parents were permitted to marry. He testified that he wrote and agrees with the statement, quote, I believe that today the principle of equal human dignity must apply to gay and lesbian persons. In that sense, insofar as we are a nation founded on this principle, we would be more American on the day we permitted same-sex marriage than we were the day before. You fucking hypocrite. Wait, 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 wait. He said this shit? He testified that he wrote and currently agrees with that statement. Oh, you jackass. You fucking jackass. This is the worst kind of human being. He can see what's wrong. He agrees that it would be better if we moved along this path, and yet he forms a goddamn group to stand up against making people's lives better? You fucker. But he'll take a paycheck. Yeah, well, so here's church, I'm sure they're just bankrolling that dude. Here's the opinion of the court on Blankenhorn. Court permitted Blankenhorn to testify, but reserved the question of the appropriate weight to give to his opinions. The court now determines Blankenhorn's testimony constitutes inadmissible opinion testimony that should be given essentially no weight. None of Blankenhorn's opinions is reliable. <laughs> well, there goes one of their witnesses. How the second weight? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the second one they uh, pulled up was Kenneth P. Miller, professor of government at Claremont uh, McKenna College. He testified as an expert in American... Is that a community college? I don't know. California politics. Now, the plaintiffs objected that he lacked sufficient expertise specific to gays and lesbians. He did have a PhD uh, in political science. The opinion of the court on this guy is that um, while Miller has significant experience with politics generally, he is not sufficiently familiar with gay and lesbian politics specifically to offer opinion on gay and lesbian political power. And this um, was an important issue because... If they don't have very much in the way of political power, they uh, may well be a suspect class. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. He, so did uh, they actually kick this dude's ass off the stand? Well, you know, he, 
he testified, but they cross-examined him, and he really was wasn't um, aware of the literature specific to this. So basically, he had he had no real um, opinion or experience that was germane to the question at hand. So basically, also like the guy before him. He previously wrote that gays and lesbians, like other minorities, are vulnerable and powerless in the initiative process, like you know, Proposition 8. Contradicting his trial testimony that gays and lesbians are not politically vulnerable with respect to the initiative process. Um, now, keep in mind that uh, 84% of those who attend church on a weekly basis voted yes on Proposition 8. So if you attended church on a weekly basis, 8.5 people out of 10 voted for Proposition 8. If you uh, only attended church occasionally, you 54%. About half of those guys did. If you never attended church, 83% of those voted no on Proposition 8. That seems to split right down the line of religious categories. If you're religious, you vote for it. If you kind of are religious but not really, you know, half of them did, half of them didn't. If you're not religious, you voted against it. Yeah, and people have to ask, why do we believe religion is harmful? Hmm, I wonder yeah, why. This is why. All right, the the court found that Miller's opinions on gay and lesbian political power are entitled to little weight and only to the extent that they are amply supported by reliable evidence. So he didn't. He didn't. At first, he gave no weight, and the second guy that testified for them, he gave uh, extremely little weight. Now, I want to go over the findings of fact. These are very important because, of course, this is just um, a stepping stone on the way well, to the Supreme Court. Aren't you going to get to when they called Packer on? Oh, I'm sure they called Packer in. Yeah. I mean, uh, that dude's got to be like their quarterback. He's the one waiting in the wings to save everybody. God, they, they should have called Boyd K. Packer, Chris Butters, and Thomas S. Monson. That would have been yeah. a riot. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen uh, Butters up there. Uh, he could have had himself a great argument against gay marriage. All right, now keep in mind the findings of fact uh, are very rarely overturned on appeal. So these findings of fact will will um, almost always withstand an appeal. It's just interpretations that you glean from the findings of fact that uh, may be reversed. So uh, the, this is actually now, these things have been entered as findings of fact in a federal court. Uh, number 1 through 18 basically lays out who the people are. Number 18 itself uh, shows that Protect Marriage is a, quote, broad coalition <laughs> of individuals and organizations. But the only only two people are mentioned, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, first, and the California Catholic Conference. He says also a large number of evangelical churches, but they, you know, that'll get named. Yeah. His, his finding of fact is that marriage in the United States has always been a civil matter. Civil authorities may permit religious leaders to solemnize marriages, but not to determine who may enter or leave a civil marriage. Religious leaders may determine independently whether to recognize a civil marriage or divorce. That recognition or lack thereof has no effect on the relationship under state law. So, um, basically he's saying that the state permits religious leaders to solemnize marriages, but they have no real effect on divorce or, um, you know, if, if they refuse to solemnize a marriage, that doesn't matter. They can get it well, solemnized somewhere else. Well, there goes their argument. Hey, they're going to force us to marry gay people now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, California, like every other state, has never required that individuals entering a marriage be willing or able to procreate. And this makes complete sense, right? Do we really 
say that if you're 80 years old and unable to have children, you can't get married? Do we say... What about men who can't shoot straight or women who are barren? I mean, do they right. walk in for a marriage license and we're like, hey, fuck you, go find somebody Have we else? Ever required a certificate of fertility to get a marriage license? Have well, we said. According to their testimony, we should, because that's all marriage is for, is kicking out babies. Have we said veterans who get their balls shot off in war? Well, sorry, can't get married now. You can't have kids. <laughs> Suck it, bitch. Go find somebody else in a far-off country. We don't want you. Now, he also mentions um, uh, the next couple finding of facts are about how traditional marriage has changed already. And uh, clearly um, hasn't deinstitutionalized marriage because these guys are fighting to protect it, right? Slaves were considered property of other people at the time that California became a state in 1850. So as such, they didn't have the ability to consent legally to marry, right? So they couldn't marry. After they were emancipated, former slaves viewed their ability to marry as one of the most important new rights they had gained. Clearly, clearly the right to marry is a liberty. It is a freedom. Of course it is. And you know what? If they would have put me up on that stand defending Prop 8, I could have given them the reason why marriage is crumbling and falling apart. It's because we gave women rights. Let's take away women rights, give gay rights, and then we'll be back to standard traditional marriage. What if they're gay women? What would you do with their rights then? Well, then they'll both just be washing dishes and it won't matter at that point. Many states, (laughs) number 24, many states, including California, had laws restricting the race of marital partners so that whites and non-whites could not marry each other. These are the anti-miscegenation laws. So if you're black and you're white, you could not legally marry, right? Of course not. Uh, those restrictions, those racial restrictions, were deemed unconstitutional under the California Constitution in 1948 and under the United States Constitution in 1967. Those restrictions on whites and non-whites to marry each other were removed. Amazingly enough, traditional marriage was not changed, was changed, and it didn't immediately fall apart. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> Well, we all know that if we keep changing things, that it's just going to crumble apart. I mean, we've got a 50% divorce rate. Imagine, we allow gays to marry, it'll drop down to like 20%. Divorce rate? That's uh, an improvement. No. Stay together, Rich. Shut this <laughs> <mess>. <laughs> uh, is there a word for stay together rate? I mean... <laughs> this is something I did not know. Coverture. Do you know what coverture is? Never even heard of it. Under coverture, a woman's legal and economic identity was subsumed by her husband's upon marriage. So what happened was, the husband married the wife, and she no longer had the ability to dispense with property, uh, bring lawsuits to to the courts. Her husband had to do that for her. So it was in a woman's best interest not to get married at that point. Uh, legally, correct. Uh, damn, so, how long ago was that? That was in the 1800s, 19th century. Yeah, that, uh, that was originally it was viewed as part of the marriage contract, right? You yeah. essentially become a slave to your husband, uh, and your husband doesn't exactly own you, but you forfeit a bunch of your legal rights as a separate person. And I'm um, looking for the bad side of that. So at one time, this was viewed as a central component of the civil institution of marriage, this coverture. You know, I'd love to look up the arguments against 
changing that sort of uh, sort of law. And I can guarantee you the arguments would be basically the same. It's going to destroy traditional marriage. Um, so we've done all these changes, right? And amazingly, the institution of marriage has withstood all these changes to traditional marriage. It's been changing over the last couple hundred years, and if we make one more change, all of society is going to collapse. Right. So the finding of fact number 33, eliminating gender and race restrictions in marriage has not deprived the institution of marriage of its vitality. If it had, why are these guys fighting right now, right? Why are they fighting so hard to keep the institution of marriage? Hasn't it already been de-institutionalized? Well, it hasn't been brought up to them just yet. Finding fact number 34 is uh, taken nearly verbatim from one of the uh, plaintiff's expert witnesses. That's how much weight he gave to her definition of marriage. Number 34, marriage is a state recognition and approval of a couple's choice to live with each other, to remain committed to one another, and to form a household based on their own feelings about one another, and to join in an economic partnership and support one another and any uh, any dependents. (laughs) Almost verbatim. That makes sense, and it it makes perfect sense why this judge, who is probably educated, why this judge would follow that. It just makes sense. Give people rights and allow them to live with their household how they want. Yeah, uh, 34B was, or in other words, legalized fucking so you can keep track of whose children you own. (laughs) <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We own Thai children. Is is that considered part of the marriage deal? Regulate filiation. Have you ever heard marriage defined as regulating filiation? That fucking idiot. I'm going to start defining that as now. Every time someone asks, are you married? No, I haven't started regulating my filiations just yet. <laughs> my filiations are currently unregulated. <laughs> Would you God. like to be part of that unregulation? I think that should be my new pickup line. Finding of fact 38. Marriage benefits both spouses by promoting physical and psychological health. Married individuals are less likely to engage in behaviors detrimental to health, like smoking and drinking heavily. Married individuals live longer on average than unmarried individuals. So now, a finding of fact in the court is that marriage does offer benefits to people. Well, of so, course, that's just common knowledge. When you got somebody you're in a relationship with, they nag you until you stop all the fun stuff. Keep in mind that the domestic partnership does not do that. So again, these are not separate but equal. Uh, in in practice, they are separate and unequal, just like uh, segregation was. You know, the the white kids in practice got all the good books, the good tools. Uh, Everything was nicer. The black kids got, you know, the hand-me-downs, broken-up books and stuff that yeah. uh, the white kids didn't want. In in theory, separate but equal sounds, oh, okay, we'll just do this. It seems fair. In practice, well, in theory, never is. Never is. No, no and, and once again, if, if you are willing, you're absolutely willing to give them equality – but with separation, why not just take one step further and do equality across the board? Uh, right. Absolutely. They want to appear to be fair, right? Of course. <clears throat> While still being absolute bigots. Uh, so here it is. Does California have an interest, right, in saying, nope, we're going to restrict you guys. Should we differentiate this or should we allow marriage license to everybody? Right. Number 46, finding a fact in federal law. Individuals do not generally choose their sexual orientation. 
no credible evidence supports a finding that an individual may, through conscious decision, therapeutic intervention, or any other method, change his or her sexual orientation. Finding of fact in federal law. Well, there goes the uh, the pray the gay camps. Oh. I wonder if they, they should have some <laughs> camps about uh, pray away the heterosexuality. Oh, God, exactly. Now, any gay listeners we have, I want you to start a camp. Pray away the heterosexuality. Uh, call it pray them gay. <laughs> you can even <laughs> slap our names on it. We'll endorse that. 48. Same-sex couples are identical to opposite-sex couples in the characteristics relevant to the ability to form successful marital unions. Keep in mind, in California, they do not discriminate for adoption, whether you are heterosexual or homosexual. Well, there goes uh, those children's futures. So, um, finding a fact, again, in federal court, that there's no difference between same-sex and opposite-sex couples in their ability to form successful marital unions and their ability to raise children. 52. Domestic partnerships lack the social meaning associated with marriage, and marriage is widely regarded as the definitive expression of love and commitment in the United States. One of these um, people said that you know when you go into a bank and you say you want to open a loan, right, or a checking account, and they look at you, you know, with your partner, and they say, uh, "Is this for business?" And there's this awkward, <laughs> <laughs> awkward time where you have to say, "No, uh, this is my domestic partner." Right? So it'd be yeah. so much easier to, to your friends and your family and to banks and 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 um, other places. You just say, "This is my husband," you know, instead of "This is my domestic partner." Yeah. Well, uh, and not only that, but the sooner we get this passed, and and the sooner we get it out across the entire U.S., the easier it is going to be for gay couples to walk in there without embarrassment, without having to sit there and explain to other people, hey, this is the lifestyle I have chosen. This is what makes me happy. You don't, you don't have that awkwardness because all you, uh, what you were saying is subsumed in the definition of husband, right? Yeah. Two exactly. women walk in and say, this is my wife. You know exactly what they're talking about. Two gay men walk in, this is my husband. You know, if you go, this is my partner, well, I don't know, business partner? Is it, um, you know, is it domestic partner, business partner? What kind of partner are you talking about? Uh, so there's no awkwardness, there's no confusion, there's nothing. It's just, it's, it's understood. Yeah. 55, uh, and this is a big one, permitting same-sex couples to marry will not affect the number of opposite-sex couples who marry, divorce, cohabit, have children outside of marriage, or otherwise affect the stability of opposite-sex marriages. So again, this is what we've been saying all along. I don't give a flying fuck what gay people do. It doesn't affect my marriage. Allowing them to marry doesn't affect anything. It doesn't affect anything having to do with heterosexual marriages. Except, the longer you allow them to marry, the more and more bigoted these fucking asshole LDS apostles are going to look. <laughs> you know, I just had me a great idea. If, if these religious nutbags want to stand out there and protest gay marriage, they should protest it, much like Gandhi did by giving up food, except they should give up marriage. Because you know that a lot of those churches, as in the LDS church, you cannot have sex until you're married, so it's it's a huge solving of all these problems. The LDS church dies out because they ain't having children, gays get to get married, and all the uh, the religious people die out. Let's protest marriage by not getting married. Yeah, they can protest marriage all they want. They're still having fucking kids by the boatload. Guaranteed. <laughs> Are you saying they would go against the prophet? 
100%. Natural inclinations will always emerge victorious over... Uh, because Satan, he's stronger than Jesus, remember? He's the God That's of true. this world. That's very true. Like All right, Satan. now we come to the most interesting uh, portion of this, which is whether the evidence shows that Proposition 8 enacted a private moral view without advancing a legitimate government interest. Of course it of did. Of course. The whole finding of fact should be, of fucking course it did. <laughs> Duh, Jesus fucking shit. Christ. That should be their response. Duh, dipshit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Of course it did. Number 58. Proposition 8 places the force of law behind stigmas against gays and lesbians, including gays and lesbians do not have intimate relationships uh, similar to heterosexual couples, gays and lesbians are not as good as heterosexuals, and gay and lesbian relationships do not deserve the full recognition of society. Remember that one commercial where this girl comes home from school and she goes, Mommy, Mommy, I learned in school that two princesses can get married. And the mom gets this horrified look on her face. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I think I've actually seen that commercial. Yeah. yeah it says, vote, vote for Proposition 8. <laughs> of course it advances a private moral view. Oh, dear God. So they got some testimony that supports these findings of fact. And, and a, a couple of these I found very, very humorous. Um, these are cited in the court record. Uh, finding fact 61... Proposition 8 amends the California Constitution to codify distinct and unique roles for men and women in marriage. So basically what it's saying is it's a throwback to the time bef- you know, when coverture was in place and you know, men had definite roles and women had definite roles. Yeah, where women actually knew their place, in other words. So um, here is uh, someone from uh, Protect Marriage, right? Uh, the fine line. So this is, this is a transcript of like a video, I think, that they showed or something. Oh. So there's this lady saying, when moms are in the park taking care of their kids, they always know where those kids are. They have like a like a radar around them. Oh, they know shit. <laughs> they know where those kids are, and there's just a there's a bond between a mom and a kid different from a dad. <laughs> I'm not saying dads don't have that bond, but they don't. <laughs> it's just different. You know, middle of the night, mom will wake up. Dad will sleep. You know if there's a little noise in the room. And when the kids get scared, they run to mommy. Why? They spend nine months in mommy. They go back to where they came. That's fucking... <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus That's like Christ. complete insanity. Are they, are they serious? I actually moved in with a woman who had two kids. And those two kids, she used to sleep through everything. And whenever there was a problem, I was the first one up. I was the one the kids came to when they were scared of the dark. So kiss my ass. As always, uh, they think that, you know, if if it feels like it's that way in their family, then, of course, they, they can universalize the fallacy of hasty generalization. You've got a sample size of one. So if, if yeah. I feel like I've got a radar around me, then clearly every mom in the world feels the same way. If my kids yeah. come up to me, clearly every kid in the world comes up to their mom. And, of course, it's, you know, it's it's a mom who's saying this in the first place. All right, anyway, um, <clears throat> we got a video of Ron Prentice addressing supporters of Proposition 8. Prentice is telling people at a religious rally that marriage is not about love, but instead about women civilizing men. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> Again, because it's not about two people in love. 
It's about men becoming civilized, frankly, and I can tell you this from personal experience. And every man in this audience can do the same if they've chosen to marry, because when you do find the woman that you love, you are compelled to listen to her. And when the woman that I love, prior to my marrying her, told me that my table manners were less than adequate, I became more civilized. When she told me that my rust-colored corduroy were never again to be worn, I became more civilized. <laughs> well, I know fucking... who wears the pants in that relationship. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. This is a speech given to supporters of Proposition 8 rally. Well, what about gay women, you fucking idiots? <laughs> that well, gay women don't have radars? They don't know where their kids are? They don't, if they got two mommies, they can run up to either one. <laughs> shouldn't a relationship marriage or otherwise be a partnership not one person telling the other how they need to change and what they need to do I love again because it's not about two people in love these are the fuckers who are supposedly defending traditional marriage again and again and again they say it's not about love guys it's not about love gay people love they're capable of love but it's not about love it's about fucking. It's about civilizing people. It's about having a fucking radar about where your kids are. It's fucking idiots. Yeah. This is the shit, right? And you don't hear about this in the transcript, you know, where they bring up expert witnesses because they know it's not going to fly in court. But they talk about it in private to their stupid little supporters. 62. Proposition 8 does not affect the First Amendment rights of those opposed to marriage for same-sex couples. Prior to Proposition 8, no religious group was required to recognize marriage for same-sex couples. So fuck you assholes and stop saying that shit about we're going to be forced to recognize marriage for same-sex couples. Well, they're still going to say it despite the fact that this has just been written down in stone at this point. They're still going to say it because they won't even bother to read this. Number 70. The gender of a child's parent is not a factor in a child's adjustment. The sexual orientation of an individual does not determine whether that individual can be a good parent. Children raised by gay or lesbian parents are as likely as children raised by heterosexual parents to be healthy, successful, and well-adjusted. The research supporting this conclusion is accepted beyond serious debate in the field of developmental psychology. <clears throat> Finding a fact... throws in their serious debate. That's, uh, that's very important. Finding a fact in federal court... It doesn't fucking matter. As a matter of fact, as we've seen, those gay penguins were the best parents in the zoo. Yeah. They were so goddamn excited to get an egg of their own, they were the best parents in the zoo. And we're talking an egg that heterosexual penguins discarded. They wanted nothing to do with these gay penguins. They raised it, and it was perfection. Right. They wanted so bad, they'd roll out little eggs and they'd put stones at their feet, hoping they wouldn't notice. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> oh, my God. 79. The Proposition 8 campaign relied on fears that children exposed to the concept of same-sex marriage may become gay or lesbian. That was that whole commercial I just talked about. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Oh, my God, Mike. You don't talk to my kid about gay marriage because they might turn out gay. My girl might become a princess. So might my boy. <laughs> conclusions of law. So this is what this is a judge's finding. Uh, his his conclusion. Plaintiffs challenge Proposition Eight under the due process and equal protection clauses of the Fourteenth Amendment. Each is independently meritorious as Proposition Eight 
both unconstitutionally burdens the exercise of the fundamental right to marry and creates an irrational classification on the basis of sexual orientation. So it violates both the due process and the equal protection clause of the 14th Amendment. Of course it does. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to just see that. You are hurting people by denying them rights, plain and simple. Domestic partnerships don't satisfy California's obligation because uh, they've created a separate parallel institution. Wouldn't it be more cost-effective if they just collapse this into one, right? So uh, in addition to uh, getting more money from marriage licenses, you would, you would decrease the bureaucracy and the amount that you're spending by not maintaining that separate uh, parallel institution. The evidence at trial shows that domestic partnerships exist solely to differentiate same-sex unions from marriage. That's their only purpose. They fulfill no yeah. other purpose. And you've seen that, too, when we argued against Palmer, for example. You bring up same-sex marriages so you don't feel really bad. that you know, They have an institution. They have domestic partnerships. They have domestic partnerships. It's the same thing. We don't understand why these people are pushing for equal rights. They have something that's similar. He goes on um, because... Th- I love this. Because plaintiffs seek to exercise their fundamental right to marry, their claim is subject to strict scrutiny. So he's putting, uh, he's putting gays and lesbians in, into the suspect class. That the majority of California voters supported Proposition 8 is irrelevant. As fundamental rights may not be submitted to a vote, they depend on the outcome of no elections. That was West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett, 1943. Ding, 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 ding. That's what we've been saying all along. We are not a democracy. We're not a direct democracy that we can just vote away people's fundamental rights. We are a republic with a constitution that guarantees certain fundamental, unabridgeable rights. You cannot just vote it away. This has been known by everyone since the fucking 1943. However, I really wish we were more of a democracy so we could... Uh, do ostracism and we could send away some of these idiots that are in America. In the law for 67 years at least explicitly in the law for 67 years implicitly in the law since the fucking foundation of the republic (laughs) under strict scrutiny the state bears the burden of producing evidence to show that Proposition 8 is narrowly tailored to a compelling government interest. So you have to have a compelling government interest that narrowly tailors its uh effects to that compelling interest. It cannot withstand even rational basis review. Still less can Proposition 8 survive the strict scrutiny required required by the plaintiff's due process claim. So they didn't, he says they didn't provide uh, anything but minimal evidence, um, and it doesn't meet the heavy burden. I would even go that far. (laughs) He says, the minimal evidentiary presentation made by the proponents does not meet the heavy burden of production necessary to show that Proposition 8 is narrowly tailored to a compelling government interest. Uh, so it, it absolutely violates the, the due process. Proponents argue that Proposition 8 does not target gays and lesbians because its language does not refer to them. Uh, in so arguing, proponents seek to mask their own initiative. Again, they're lying sacks of shit. Here it is. We have it in federal court. Mormons are lying sacks of shit. Well, they say it a little nicer, but the underlying theme is sack of shit. Those who choose to marry someone of the opposite sex, heterosexuals, do not have their choice of marital partner restricted by Proposition 8. So yes, it does have something to do with gays and lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking dicks. Really? Thanks for, you know, bringing the light to that. 
those who would choose to marry someone of the same sex, homosexuals, have had their right to marry eliminated by amendment to the state constitution. So under the standard review, he says that proposition fails to possess even a rational basis. He says that the evidence presented at trial shows that gays and lesbians are the type of minority strict scrutiny was designed to protect. So uh, hopefully when it goes to the Supreme Court, they will, uh, even though it fails rational basis, they will um, apply a strict scrutiny to them, and they'll make them a suspect class. Well, they've uh, got to at this point. I, I don't know how much clearer it can be. The court uh, asked the parties to identify a difference between heterosexuals and homosexuals that the government might fairly need to take into account when crafting legislation. So what he's talking about, what's the compelling government interest? What's the difference between these that would be a fair basis for this discrimination? Uh, because it's possible to discriminate if you've got a fair basis. Uh, proponents pointed only to a difference between same-sex couples uh, and opposite-sex couples which would be ones capable of sexual intercourse uh, or through sexual intercourse to produce produce offspring. So procreation was the difference, right? Proponents did not, however, advance any reason why the government may use sexual orientation as a proxy for fertility or why the government may need to take into account fertility when legislating. And he should have added, because they never fucking have before. <laughs> well, it's it's never been a proper issue before. This I love it. You know, why are these people for Proposition 8 not campaigning against restricting the rights of elderly to marry? You fucking old people! <laughs> How are you going to regulate your filiation? <laughs> you can't have any children. Why do you even want to get married? Go back to Miami. It's not about love, you old assholes. <laughs> it's about making kids. Yeah, yeah. That's what marriage is about. What about old people adopting? Because I've seen you, that before. You get you get an old couple, all of their children have grown and gone doesn't away. doesn't matter, man. Adopt. Gay people can adopt. You need to be able to crank those fuckers out of your vagina. <laughs> That's what well, we're talking about. I'll have to work on that. I, I've had trouble with my vagina lately. Uh, under rational basis, he said, it can't, Proposition 8 cannot withstand any level of scrutiny under the Equal Protection Clause. Uh, so it doesn't even go into rash. It's not rationally related to legitimate state interest. So, and then he goes over each interest. <laughs> each interest that the defense gives, he takes them one by one. Purported interest number one, reserving marriage as a union between a man and a woman and excluding any other relationship. So they say that it's rational because, Proposition 8 is rational because it preserves the traditional institution of marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Uh, he says, tradition alone, however, cannot form a rational basis for a law. And he cites a case, Williams versus Illinois, to that effect, <laughs> 1970. The ancient lineage of a classification does not make it rational. Rather, the state must have an interest apart from the fact of tradition itself. Of course. Of course. Otherwise, you wouldn't change any laws ever. When we already talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. What would be the point of having any sort of Congress? Or you anything? can't change that. It's tradition. <laughs> the tradition of restricting marriage to opposite-sex couples does not further any state interest. Rather, the evidence shows that Proposition 8 harms the state interest in equality because it mandates that men and women be treated differently based only on antiquated and discredited notions of gender. I like uh, the antiquated. Yeah, like. well, he's talking about you know defining marriage based on the gender roles, right? That's why you yeah. can't have gays marry because you've got... You violated the rule of opposites. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just go back to how we had it before. <laughs> Moreover, the state cannot have an interest in disadvantaging an unpopular minority group simply because the group is unpopular. I like that one, too. But that's basically 
what uh, Proposition 8 did. Oh, you're gay? Fuck you! <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're gay? We've got Chris Butters over here. We want you to talk to him for a little bit. <laughs> oh, Supreme Court says you can marry, huh? Well, fuck that shit. Let's vote that away. Because? <laughs> why? Because I don't like you. That's why. Yeah. That's what yeah. the commercials were saying. Yeah, that's exactly what. You were going to destroy the world by getting married. So, yeah, we don't like you. I would rather my children not hear about you. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. Could you guys go back to the corner and just hide? You know, we'll give you an island. Go live on that. Purported interest number two, proceeding with caution when implementing social changes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, nice. Proceed with caution. Basically, that argument says, listen, the social change may be necessary, but for God's sakes, don't do it in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> let me be dead. Let my children be dead. But let's continue to oppress these people. Slow down. We can slowly transition into giving these people rights. Uh, slow Quit down. Rushing. I need to use my typewriter to write down my testimony. Purported interest number three. Promoting opposite-sex parenting over same-sex parenting. Uh, This is where he says that, you know, um, Proposition 8, the legitimate interest of California is that um, your ideal mother and father uh, are male and female, right? Your ideal family. Yeah, sure. So they argue that Proposition 8 promotes stability and responsibility in naturally procreative relationships. Um, So, you know, if you're infertile, again, fuck you. Yeah, God didn't want you to have children anyway, so fuck you. Right. God's decision was that you didn't have children until he inspired the scientist for uh, in vitro fertilization. Yeah, but that's cheating on your husband, so don't do it. This is basically saying that opposite-sex families are inherently superior to same-sex families. <laughs> right? Um, yes. This is what all the commercials were about, and... Don't tell my kid about this. And all the evidence shows that uh, you know it's it's best that um, uh, you have a, a one mother and one father, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's which is amazing to me because you know prophets of of God uh, a century ago were saying it's okay. The ideal state of affairs is to have one father, one mother, one mother, one mother, one mother, one mother, right? Eight Lots mothers. Of <laughs> so yeah, but- now the LDS Church, like we said, you know. Follow the current prophet, for fuck's sake, because the old prophet's saying something entirely different. <laughs> yeah, it, it all goes back to those 14 rules that Ezra Taft Benson had to throw out because they were getting so much flack about not following what previous prophets said. And not only that, what the hell is it with this burying and closing your eyes to the outside world that has never worked? Why is it these people just want to hide their children from the world. It doesn't make any sense. My favorite uh, entry from this judge uh, under this heading is is the following. Proposition 8 has nothing to do with children as Proposition 8 simply prevents same-sex couples from marrying. <laughs> he, reminds, he reminds these people that same-sex couples can have or adopt and raise children. So they can, you know, lesbians can have, under IVF, in vitro fertilization, they can have their children of their own, or um, gay couples can adopt, right? And when they do, they are treated identically to opposite-sex parents under California law. So fuck your purported interest number three. That it's already, it's a foregone conclusion, because California law already does not discriminate in parenting. Look, guys, if you want to protect the family, 
attack the scientists who created in vitro fertilization. That's the real fucker right there. Important interest number four, protecting the freedom of those who oppose marriage for same-sex couples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us be dicks. That's what he's That saying. is interest number four. It is the right of people to be dicks. In the yeah. 1950s, this would be Purported interest number four, protecting the freedom of those who oppose opposite race marriages. Yeah. Right? Don't call me a bigot, even though I'm a bigot. Yes. I want to keep these people down, and it's my right to do that. That's what they're saying. I want to be a bigot, and I don't want you to call me on it. Proposition 8 is not rationally related to an interest in protecting the rights of those opposed to same-sex couples because, as a matter of law, Proposition 8 does not affect the rights of those opposed to homosexuality or to marriage for the couples of the same sex. They can still... No, sorry, sorry. If gays are allowed to marry, all those religious people are going to have to marry these people. (laughs) They're going to immediately be forced to marry gays. Exactly. Talk about redefining marriage. Immediately, I'm going to be divorced from my wife and forced to marry a gay dude. Uh, you bet your ass if I was married, I'd ditch her and find me some gay dude out there and my walk wife will be forced to marry a lesbian. <laughs> what what he's saying basically here is you guys can go on saying whatever you want, whatever bigoted comments you want because of the uh freedom of speech. You can go on and keep saying whatever bigoted shit you want to say. Say it to your children. Go ahead. You're you're free to be an asshole, even to yeah. your children. In fact, please say it to your children. That way, as time goes by, and this is looked back on just as poorly as racism is looked back on, your children can look up at you and think, my God, I was raised by you? Yeah, good Lord, my mom was a bitch. <laughs> my dad was a dick and in more ways than <laughs> uh, but do not ask me uh, you know the the freedom of speech goes both ways I have a right to call you out on your bigotry uh, what they want is the freedom to be a bigot and say bigoted stuff uh, but not have their feelings hurt by being called out on it that's what they want really? he's saying proposition 8 whether it passes or doesn't pass doesn't affect their rights at all Important interest number five, treating same-sex couples differently from opposite-sex couples. Yeah, I love it. Here you go. Here, proponents assume a premise that the evidence thoroughly rebutted. Rather than being different, same-sex and opposite-sex unions are, for all purposes relevant to California law, exactly the same. Yeah. The, The evidence shows conclusively that moral and religious views form the only basis for a belief that same-sex couples are different from opposite-sex couples. So, and again, Lawrence v. Texas, you cannot enact uh, a view whose only purpose is to promote a privately held moral view. Well, they can try. It's just not going to (laughs) fly. You can try, and the rest of the nation will look on you and shake their head and think, you are the trash of America, but it's your right to try. Right. You you can certainly vote that shit in and cause your state, uh, or in this case... In this case, the Mormon Church, lots and lots of money to defend it. <laughs> Completely fact, differently than they campaigned, fucking dicks. Yeah, yeah. Purported interest number six, the catch-all interest. Uh, finally, proponents assert that Proposition 8 advances, quote, 
any other conceivable legitimate interests identified by the parties, amici, or the court at any stage of the proceedings. I love this because basically what that catch-all interest is, uh, it, just in case we think up any more shit during the trial, <laughs> I want to put that in too. But yeah, they couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't think up any more shit in trial. Well, that's because they get, kept getting called on their shit. I mean, the judge kept calling on it going, really? Well, that question, that that's not a good question, Judge. Ask yeah. it again. Don't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> judge, you just threw out my entire defense. Come on, you're, you're hurting me here. Stop picking on me. Ask me better questions. <laughs> Finally, he concludes that a private moral view that same-sex couples are inferior to opposite-sex couples is not a proper basis for legislation. And again, I think this is aimed directly at the LDS church. Of course it is. Listen, you fucking dicks. Stop interfering with politics. If you have a private moral view that you privately hold, then you can go ahead and fucking privately hold it. You can teach it in your stupid-ass church to your stupid-ass people sitting in the pews who just fucking nod their head and donate their money. But for God's sakes, don't try to inflict this private moral view on the rest of the fucking country. At that point, someone in the audience should have stand up and said, Ahem, the prophet may be involved in civic matters. <laughs> Listen, Judge. <laughs> <laughs> I have these 14 fundamentals that I would like to enter into the court. Judge, does it matter if God holds this private moral view? Does that make any difference? Yeah, bring God down here. Let him stand up in court. I'd like <laughs> I call to see Jesus H. Christ to the stand. <laughs> well, would you put your hand on this Bible and swear? Uh... Quit bleeding on my Bible, Jesus. Fucking A. <laughs> Is Thomas poking you again? Make him stop. <laughs> court, would you uh, instruct the witness to quit bleeding all over my fucking Bible? Why haven't you been bandaged yet? Go to a goddamn hospital. It's been 2,000 years. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking dumbass Mormons. Um, the arguments surrounding Proposition 8 raise a question similar to that addressed in Lawrence when the court asked whether a majority of citizens could use the power of the state to enforce, quote, profound and deep convictions accepted as ethical and moral principles through the criminal code. The question here is whether California voters can enforce those same principles through regulation of marriage licenses. They cannot. Of course not. California's obligation is to treat its citizens equally, not to mandate its own moral code. Moral disapproval without any other asserted state interest has never been a rational basis for legislation. And he calls them out proponents' purported rationales are nothing more than post-hoc justifications, and you know that it's post-hoc because none of these justifications were purported before the trial began. None of these were evidenced in the campaign materials or the commercials. Not a single one of them. That's because even they realized how loosely their footing was. Right. They knew that the stuff they campaigned on wasn't good. And so, you know, it's morally okay for them, them being the LDS church, uh, to lie, then, about your justifications for it. Well, of course it is. It's not only morally able for them to lie, but it's it's in their moral obligation to sit back for nine goddamn months while they're investigated, and not a single one of them have an honest bone in their body to step forward and say, okay, you caught us, we're sorry. Right. Nine months they sat back on their hands. Right. That dishonesty, their response is, gee, I sure hope we don't get caught. Yeah. And yeah. then if Everybody we do get caught, 
I sure hope we don't have to pay a lot of money. Uh, so, you know, when, when money comes in place or, or, or uh, anything else like this, uh, the Mormons, you know, who you'd think, one of the Ten Commandments being, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, you would think that they would not bear false witness against their neighbor. You would be wrong. <laughs> That's because, uh, well, God told them to do it, and standing against the prophet is bad. Conclusion. Proposition 8 fails to advance any rational basis in singling out gay men and lesbians for denial of a marriage license. Indeed, the evidence shows Proposition 8 does nothing more than enshrine in the California Constitution the notion that opposite-sex couples are superior to same-sex couples. Because California has no interest in discriminating against gay men and lesbians, and because Proposition 8 prevents California from fulfilling its constitutional obligation to provide marriages on an equal basis, the court concludes that Proposition 8 is unconstitutional. Uh, that judgment and the finding of, uh, of fact that, that it is predicated upon, I believe, were um, crafted specifically to survive an appeal. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you look at these findings of fact and come to any other conclusion than the one that he came to. Well, it's Unless, like you said from the very beginning. This was a very intelligent judge. I, I am tickled pink that it went before this guy. Yeah, they um, now say that he's an activist judge, and they, they say that um, he was homosexual, right? He's, he's come out as homosexual. He's in the Ninth Circuit, which is you know notoriously liberal. So a notoriously liberal homosexual judge, of course he makes this. He should have recused himself because he was homosexual, they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, God. So, you know, like, you know, like we said before, I think, any... Um, matters that, you know, racial matters that become come before a black judge, he, he needs to recuse yeah. himself. See, or for that matter, a white judge, yeah. right? Because skin color's an issue, and he has skin a skin color. color. <laughs> skin uh, color's uh, I love that they can't stand against his logic or the witnesses, the actual expert yeah. witnesses, and so they start attacking him on, uh, you know, other bases. This I, is, I right, yeah. Uh, they they start attacking the person himself. Well, of course he he judged that way. They didn't you know they don't bother reading the reasoning behind it, which yeah. uh, I think is unassailable unless you can put up another purported secular interest for denying gay people uh, the right to marry. Then you have to agree with his findings. Yeah, well we'll we'll allow Packer to sit on that for a little while. All right, so uh, that does it for the Proposition Eight. Thank God. Thank God we got that out of our system. Yeah, yeah, and don't worry. We'll find something else that you guys want, and then we'll withhold it from you. That seems fair. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, what, are we, what are we doing next week? Is that Haunting in Connecticut? We should do Haunting in Connecticut. I think we should do Haunting in Connecticut. That one's been boiling in our system for about a year now, and I really want to tear the shit out of that. All right, we'll see you next week. Oh, and after that, Judaism, right? Yeah, Judaism, and we have a guest interview, which was recorded almost two months ago about Judaism. We've been waiting for the right time to spring it on you guys. And yes. the right time is about two weeks from now. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three weeks from now. <laughs> Unless we decide you guys want it too much, and then we'll withhold it. We'll see you then.